And I do trust that the Lord will use me to be a source of blessing and help to you in the service on tonight. Some time ago, I was in a camp meeting and uh, the preacher recognized all of the preachers who was present. And when he recognized the preachers, a lady stood up in the service and he just overlooked her, went right on by her, went to the next fellow that was standing, recognized him, went right on to the next fellow, left that woman standing there without any recognition. And uh, finally, when he got through, she just sat down. He said after the service, he noticed that she kept hanging around. And he said, I did everything I knew to do uh, to uh, kill some time where she'd go ahead and leave and I wouldn't have to face her. I knew she was gonna read my title clear. And he said, uh, finally, I saw she was not going to leave, so I just decided I'd go ahead and face the music. And I went back where she was, and she said, uh, Preacher, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you, and how I appreciate the work you're doing in this place. And she said, the Lord has laid it on my heart to give you an offering. And I was just waiting around to share it with you and give it to you. And she pulled out a check and put it in his hands and he opened it up and looked and it was a thousand dollars. He said, I stuck my hand out and said, thank you, Reverend. I appreciate that. <laughs> Amen. I told him, I said, boy, it don't take much to, uh, for a fellow to sell out. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But I'm glad you're here tonight and I trust the Lord will bless us real good in this gathering together. We'll get out of the way and have Brother Bill to come a little later and uh, touch our hearts with God's precious word. Uh, it's just a joy to be here tonight. I appreciate Brother George. I appreciate the work the Lord has uh, done through him in this camp. I've been coming here for over 20 years. Uh, when Brother Vault was here, a lot of times uh, during that period of time, and uh, appreciate the Sand Mountain Bible Camp and what it stands for. And uh, I trust the Lord will continue to use it to be a blessing and a help to others. And I trust you'll undergird the ministry, remember it in prayer and uh, put it in your church program that uh, this work might go on helping preachers and folk across this country. If you will, open your Bible with me to the book of 1 John chapter 3. Our scripture lesson for tonight will be taken from verse number one. First John chapter three and verse one. I wanna bring a topical message to you tonight and uh, share some thought from the theme that's given to us in this verse of scripture. Then I'll be taking you to other places in the Bible and we'll build upon this topic that is here. In this verse, John talks about the manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. The manner of love. Now I want to preach tonight on the subject, symbols of God's love. God showing his love to you and I and how he symbolizes it in the scriptures. Would you stand with me please while we read this verse together? I'll have just a brief word of prayer, have you to be seated, 
and bring the message from this passage of Scripture. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed called God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Let's pray together, if you will. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much tonight for this opportunity we might gather here at the Sand Mountain Bible Camp. We thank you for Brother Trask, and I pray your continued blessings to be upon him. I pray now, Lord Jesus, that you'll bless the reading of your word. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Use me tonight, Lord, that I might be a source of blessing and help to this waiting congregation that's before us. I'll thank you, Lord, for all that you accomplished for us and in us and through us. In Jesus' wonderful name, I do pray, amen, and you may be seated. John talks about the manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. I want us to observe what manner of love this really is. And look at some ways God symbolizes his love to you and I. Some time ago, a young preacher said to me, Brother Bob, I have recently taken a church. And he said, I'm having a problem. And the problem is I can't get my church to follow me. And he said, I wonder if you might share something with me that would help me to get my church to follow me. And I said, dear brother, there's only one way that you can get anyone to follow you, and that's to prove to them without any doubt whatsoever that you love them. And once they know that you love them, they'll follow you because they know you have their best interest at heart in whatever you do. Well, I believe our Heavenly Father feels the same way toward you and I. He wants us to know how much he really loves us that we might follow him closer day by day. So I want us to look at how he symbolizes or illustrates his love to you and I. If you'll turn with me in your Bible to the book of Psalms chapter 103 and verse number 13 and verse 14. In your Schofield, that'll be page 649. And here from these two verses, we see God symbolizing his love, using a father as a symbol to reveal his compassion toward his children. Notice what it says. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. From this passage of scripture, we find God is symbolizing his love as a father, revealing his compassion to you and I. In fact, the word pitieth that is here in our Bible in the Hebrew is the strongest Hebrew word that uh, reveals compassion of one person toward another. And here the Bible is saying that God is compassionate toward you and I as a father is compassionate toward his children. I can identify with this symbol 
because I'm a father. I have two children and I know what it is to be able to do something for my children that I know they need, that I know that they want. What a joy and what a satisfaction it is to me as an earthly father to be able to supply their need. And just think about it, how much more does it bless the heart of God to be able to supply whatever needs you and I might have. The word here that is translated father comes from a word that means one who nourishes and one who protects. Now that word nourisheth means that the father is to be the provider for the family. And thank God our heavenly father is but saying to you and I that he has compassion upon us and wants to provide every need that we have in this walk of life. Thank God for that reality. But not only is he compassionate toward me as a provider, but also as a protector. Again, I know how it is to have a feeling of protection for your own children as a father in this world. And thank God my heavenly father has compassion for me to protect me from harm, to protect me from hurt along the way as a father. So as a father, he reveals his compassion. Turn with me also, if you will, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 66 and verse 13. That'll be page 770 in your Schofield. Here's a second symbol that God uses to reveal his love to you and I. Not only does he want us to know as a father he is compassionate toward us, but he wants us to know also that he loves us as a mother showing comfort. So here the Bible tells us in verse 13, as one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Here God is saying, not only do I want you to know I love you like a father, revealing my compassion. But he said, I want you to know I love you like a mother, revealing my comfort. Thank God for the comfort that our Heavenly Father has to offer to you and I as his children. You know, I have two children. My wife was such a good mother that I had a hard time in my children's days to convince them to be daddy's girl and daddy's boy. I mean, my daughter especially, just about till she become a teenager, she was mama's girl. And I'd try to get her over to be my girl and she'd say, if you'll buy mama a new dress, I will. Or if you'll get mama a new couch, I'll be your girl. I said, seems to me like you still got mama at heart while you're talking to daddy, amen? But finally, I'd convinced them to be daddy's boy and daddy's girl. But I noticed something. 
when one of them got hurt, even though they were my girl or my boy, they would run right by my arms, right into the arms of mother, because they knew mother had a comfort that she could offer to them that dad did not possess. Amen? And boy, there's something about a mother that can show comfort to her children. And by the way, I'm not being any more successful as a grandparent because uh, I live in Granny's house. I drive Granny's car and I sleep in Granny's bed. I'm just an insignificant nobody around the house when it comes to the kid. Everything is centered around granny. Amen? Because you see, they know she has that comfort, that special understanding for children that dad does not have. I remember when my children were small, they would want something. They would not usually ever come to me directly and say, hey, Dad, we want this. Or, Dad, we want to go over here. No, they would go to my wife. And they'd say to my wife, Mom, we want this. Or we want to go there. And they'd present their case to her. They would win her over to their way of thinking. Then they would come to me along with Mom and say, hey, Dad, we want this or we want to go there. We've already talked it over with Mom, and she don't care if it's all right with you. Yet you remember those days? Something about Mom that could reach the hearts of those children like Dad could never do. Well, God wants you and I to know that he has that special understanding for you and I to show comfort to us in our hour of hurting when you and I are facing difficulties. Thank God as a mother is able to comfort her children, so does our heavenly Father show comfort to you and to me. So as a mother, he reveals his comfort. Now turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to the book of Ezekiel 34 and verse 12. Page 878 in your Schofield. Wonder how many folk have a Schofield Bible original. Lift your hands up. Let me see. Amen. That's about half the folks. I like that. I feel like I heard one preacher say recently, he said, I dare not trust in Thompson Chain but wholly lean on Schofield's name. <laughs> Amen. Well, I wouldn't go quite that far, but I like the old Schofield Bible. Page 878 in your Schofield and uh, Ezekiel 34 and verse 12. Here's a third symbol that God uses to reveal his love to you and I. Now, as a father, he shows us his compassion. As a mother, he shows us his comfort. But here he reveals himself as a shepherd. And as a shepherd, he reveals his commitment to you and I. Let's read about it. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock 
in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. Now in this verse, God is revealing himself as a shepherd and as a shepherd, he's revealing his commitment to every one of his flock. Now for you and I, in our Western culture, it's hard to understand the feelings that a shepherd in the Eastern country has for his sheep. They were committed to every one of their sheep. Two times in the scripture, the Bible tells us that David, while shepherding a little herd on the backside of nowhere, uh, put his life on the line to protect one of those lambs. When a lion had taken it in Paul, the Bible said David delivered that lamb out of the lion's paw. Thank God he put his life on the line for that lamb. When a bear approached to take one of his lambs again, he put his life at risk in order to protect that lamb that was there. And thank God I want you to know tonight that God is committed to every one of us to see that no harm comes to us along the way. Amen. Now this passage literally is a prophecy. It's a prophecy concerning the nation of Israel. It's a prophecy that you and I as believers have been able to see find its fulfillment in the day in which we live. When God has reached into the countries of this world and has brought Israel back into that land where God said he would bring them. But this verse also practically is aptical for you and I. As a shepherd, God's revealing his commitment. Now we could spend a lot of time here talking about how the shepherd finds the sheep, talking about how the shepherd feeds the sheep, and how the shepherd fortifies his sheep. But what I want to get across to you tonight is how the shepherd is committed to every one of his lambs. I believe that's best illustrated for us in the New Testament in the book of Luke chapter number 15. Where the Bible said if a man who had a hundred sheep had one of them to go astray, that he would leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he found it. Thank God for that kind of commitment. Now let me say to you, that shepherd that left that ninety and nine in the wilderness and went off through that mountainous country searching after that one that had gone astray was not looking on that situation from an economical standpoint. Had he been looking at things economically, it would have been much better had he forgotten about that one lamb that had gone astray. 
and concentrated his efforts and his time with that 99 that was in the wilderness and through natural reproduction, that lamb would have been replaced in no time and not missed. But God wants you and I to know how much he is committed to every one of us. Thank God we're all unprofitable shepherd of sheep. We all are on the ledger in the minus every day that we live. But thank God he still loves us and is still committed to every one of us. Amen. So as a shepherd, he reveals his commitment. Now turn with me, please, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 32, and look at verses 11 and verse number 12, page 252 in your Schofield. Here's a fourth symbol that I want you to see tonight revealing God's love. Not only does he reveal his love as a father showing compassion and as a mother showing comfort and as a shepherd showing commitment, but also he reveals his love as an eagle showing control. Let me tell you something tonight. I'm glad that not only can I say that the Lord, that Jesus is my Savior, but he's the Lord of my life. He's the one in control. Notice what it says. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Now get this picture. Here the Bible says, as an eagle, God is revealing his control in our lives. And I'm glad that I can say to you tonight, thank God that he's in control instead of me. If you want to see what I could do with my life, check the first 23 years of my life in this world before I got saved by the grace of God and you could see right off what a mess I made out of things. But thank God when Jesus comes in and takes control in our lives, it's a different story altogether. Amen. I want you to see this. There are four things in verse number 11 that the eagle does to take control in the life of her eaglets in the nest. Notice it with me. Verse 11 says, as an eagle stirreth up her nest. That's the first thing that the eagle does. She stirs up her nest. Now what does this mean to stir up the eagle's nest? Let me tell you about the eagle for just a moment. Thank God 
like you and I are supposed to, eagles mate for life. And when they build a nest, they don't build a nest each year just for brooding uh, one hatching, but they build a nest for life. And sometimes those eagles' nests are taken on by uh, little eagles that are born there that have their eggs to be laid in that same nest years ahead. And so the eagle, the eagle very carefully build their nest. They go out and gather sticks and they gather wood and briars and thorns and all kinds of material and bring them in. And finally, once the materials are there, they begin the preparation of that nest. They begin to lay those sticks and uh, twigs and thorns and briars all in place, winding them together to make a nest. Some of them large enough that a human could get over inside of them and sit down. And uh, they get that nest made very sturdily that it'll last many years. Then they begin to gather grass and they begin to gather all of the feathers that they have shed in the past and place it around inside of that nest. Down in the center of it, that eagle will begin to pull some feathers from its own breast and take those feathers and place right down in the center of that nest because there she's going to place her eggs and hatch out her little eaglets. And so she fixes it where it will be comfortable. When the eaglet is hatched, then the uh, eagle begins to feed them and nourish them. Pretty soon their legs receive strength enough that they can hold up their bodies and they begin to move around in the nest. Pretty soon they're hopping out on the edge of the cliff and then back in the nest. But there comes a time when that eagle wants that little eaglet out of that nest to start doing what eagles are supposed to do, to start soaring through the air and doing the things that eagles are meant to do. But you know, those eagles must be Baptist. They get nested down in that nest so comfortable you can't get them to move. That eagle has to try to force them to get out of the nest, but they refuse to do so. And so what she does, when she stirs up her nest, it literally means that she pulls all of the soft material that's on the inside of that nest out and throws it aside, leaving the sticks and the thorns and the briars there inside of the nest. And that little eaglet that's there tries to find some comfort and he gets stuck and he gets scratched and poked and he doesn't have comfort any longer. Finally, they'll find him a little spot where they don't get stuck so bad, where they can find a little comfort. And that brings me to the second thing that the eagle does. She gets up on that nest and fluttereth over her young. 
after she has removed that soft material in that nest, she begins to flutter over it. The air force from her wings will cause those little eaglets to bounce around inside the nest. They get poked and stuck and scratched and boy it comes time now that they're so uncomfortable they're ready to get out of the nest and start doing something else sometimes God has to do you and I just that way to move us out of the nest and cause us to start doing what Christians are supposed to do in Acts chapter 1 and verse number eight, the Lord gave the commission to that early church. He said they were to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the world. And you know what the church at Jerusalem did? They got comfortable. They nested down and did not move out. And you're talking about a church that church started out with 3,000 charter members. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved that started the church. And in Acts 2.47, the Bible said the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I don't know how many that was. I don't know how many days went by, how many was added but he added to that 3,000. Pretty soon, another sermon was preached to a group and 5,000 more got saved. And we find the church at Jerusalem had 8,000 members by number, plus those that had gotten saved daily and had been added to the church and still they had not moved outside the city limits of Jerusalem with their message. They was nested down in the city. In Acts chapter 6, the Bible tells us that God spoke to the church to set aside seven deacons to take the weight off of the preachers that they might give themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And when that took place, the Bible said the church was multiplied. Now friend, that means that the church grew greatly when that happened because you can add one to the church but when you multiply, you just multiply by two. And the church was over 16,000 members strong, and yet not one time had they moved out to where God had told them to go. But I want you to look with me. Hold your place here in Deuteronomy 32. We'll look back here in a moment. But look at Acts 8 and verse number 1. It was in Acts 1 and 8 where he gave the commission. It was Acts 8 and 1 when he carried it out. Notice what happened. You know what God's doing to that church? He's making them to become uncomfortable. He's staring the nest. He's flattering over the young in order to move them out to do what Christians are supposed to do in this world. Notice what it says, Acts 8 and 1, page 1159 in your Schofield. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, 
there was a great persecution against the church. What church? Which was at Jerusalem. Now look at what happened when God stirred the nest, when God fluttered over the young, the Bible said, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea. That's where God told them to go. After Jerusalem, Judea. And then it said, and Samaria, except the apostles. Praise God, he's taking control. He's stirring the nest. He's sending them out to accomplish what God had made them to be. Look at verse four in that same chapter. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now, when God had stirred the nest and fluttered over the young, he made it so uncomfortable that they moved out and done what they were supposed to do. Now look back quickly with me at Deuteronomy 32 and 11. Here's the third thing the eagle does. Not only does she stir up her nest, flutter over her young, but the Bible said she spreadeth abroad her wings. You know, she gets up on that nest and she spreads out those wings where those little ones can see her. I can imagine usually two or three at the most eagles are hatched at one time. And I can imagine those two or three little eaglets that was down in that nest looked up and said, wow, I've never seen mama like this before. Look at her strength. Look at the power that mama's got. I want you to know something, folks. Before God ever sends you out, before God ever causes you to do what you're supposed to do, he reveals to you, thank God that he's strong enough to take care of any and all situations that you might have to face day by day in this walk of life. Amen? And so he, she spreadeth abroad her wings. And then the Bible said, she taketh them and beareth them on her wings. Now if she's just got two eagles, she'll get both of them. If she's got three, the daddy eagle will get the other. They'll fly out of that nest. And that eagle will begin to climb. And she climbs and climbs 2,000 feet high. And all of a sudden, she turns those little eaglets loose. And here they go falling down through the air. Did you know eagles have the best eyesight of any creature in the world? They can see for over two miles very clearly. And them little eaglets, Brother George, have looked down and see those rocks and all that awaited them that they're about to crash into. No doubt said, well, life's been pretty good this far, but it looks like it's about over. Boy, I can remember some of them times, can't you? 
when it seems like I was falling and there was no one to help, no one to turn to, but thank God before that eagle hit the ground, that mother eagle would catch it and then begin to climb again. This time go to 2,500 feet high. She'd turn them loose again. They'd begin to fall through the air before they hit the ground. She'd catch them again. 3,000 feet high, she'd go into the air, turn them loose again. No doubt one of them little eagles said, well, I tried this a few times, hopping around on the ledge, and it worked pretty good. Let's see how it works here. And they spread out their wings, and for the first time, those little baby eaglets are doing what eagles are supposed to do. They're soaring through the air. I'm glad God's still in control. And he tells us that he will make us to be witnesses. He said, you shall be witnesses unto me. That's positive. That's definite. And God still has control in our lives. I remember when I was a kid at home, my dad used to trade cows and horses all the time. And I remember on one occasion, our cow that we had had gone dry. We had a limited amount of milk. One of my favorite foods is cornbread, hot cornbread and sweet milk. Praise God. That just about makes you to want to take a little pause and get some cornbread and sweet milk, amen? And a good Vidalia onion, and you know what life's all about. But I remember on this occasion, I wanted some milk and bread. So I took my glass of milk, and after I had drank some out of it, I took the bread and crumbled it up in my glass, and I got too much bread in it. And uh, I knew there was a little more milk in the kitchen. So I said to our housekeeper, Gertrude, would you take this glass and water this up a little bit? I said, where it'll be eatable. She said, all right. And she took that glass and went into the kitchen and she come back in there with it and she had done exactly what I told her to do. I thought anybody would have known that I meant for her to go in there and pour some milk in that where it would be eatable. But she went in there and poured water in it and brought it back in there and set it down in front of me. And I got so mad, I jumped up from the table and I said, I'm not eating a bite. She's ruined my milk and bread. Daddy said, sit down, son. You're going to eat. I said, I'm not going to do it. I refuse to eat a bite. But I did. I didn't sit back down and eat it. I wish I could have. Well, let me tell you something. My dad wanted me to know he was still in control and he knew I needed nourishment and he wasn't gonna let a little fit of anger keep me from getting the nourishment that I needed for growth. He made me to sit back there or to stand there at the table that day and eat my food whether I liked it or not. 
I'm made out like I did, whether I did or not, amen? And let me tell you, we need to recognize that God is still in control. He loves us enough that he's not going to let us wander away to a meaningless life. He means for us to be what Christians are supposed to be. And therefore, at times, he puts the chastening rod and makes it uncomfortable for us until we move out and start doing like Christians are supposed to do. Turn in your Bible to the book of Isaiah 62. Isaiah 62 in verse 5. And here's the final thing that I want to bring to your attention tonight. Not only do we see God symbolizing his love as a father revealing his compassion, as a mother revealing his comfort, as a shepherd revealing his commitment, and as an eagle revealing his control. But also, God symbolizes his love as a bridegroom, revealing his closeness that he wants in our lives. Page 767 in your Schofield, Isaiah 62 in verse 5, For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. Now get this. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Just like a bridegroom feels about his bride and wants that closeness with them, so God wants a closeness in our lives. Notice he did not say like an older married person, I want a relationship. Boy, sometimes that's not good. I thank God. My wife and I have been married 42 years this past June the 14th. I love her more now after 42 years of living together than I did when we got married. Amen. Thank God for the love that you can have one to the other. But God said, I want that love, that closeness as a bridegroom has with his bride. I heard Dr. James Dobson on the radio some time ago give this scenario of a cold in the life of a couple in the first five years of their marriage. He said in the first year of this couple's marriage, the wife got a cold. The husband said to her, honey, I see that you've got a cold. We'll have to get you some help. I'll take you to the hospital. We'll get special care. I know the food's not good there. We'll have it catered in from Rosini's and see that you're cared for until you get over this cold. She went to the hospital, got special care, food catered in, and got over her cold. In the second year of their marriage, she got another call. Her husband said to her, I see that you've got a call. We need to take you to the hospital and let you get over this call. No special care. No food from Rosini's. 
She just went to the hospital and got over that cold in that second year. In the third year of their marriage, she got another cold. And her husband said, honey, I see that you've got a cold. I'll take you to the doctor. We'll get you some medicine and help you to get over it. No hospital, no special care, no catered food, just to the doctor. But she got over her cold that year. In the fourth year of her marriage, she got another cold. Her husband said to her, honey, I see that you've got a cold. Why don't you take a couple of aspirins and go to bed early tonight and maybe you'll get over it. No doctor, no hospital, no special care, no catered food, just a couple of aspirins and go to bed. In the fifth year of their marriage, she got another cold. Her husband said to her, honey, I see that you have a cold. Stay away from me. I don't want to get it. Now I hope you take something tonight before you go to bed where you won't bark all night. I got to work tomorrow. You see the difference in that couple's life in five years of their marriage? Well, God wants that first year relationship he wants that closeness with you and I like a bridegroom has with the bride. By the way, in the Jewish economy, when a person got married, the man was excused from all responsibilities. He did not have to go to war. He had only one major responsibility, and that was for one whole year. He was to cheer up his wife. I believe if we had that kind of rule in our day, we'd have a lot less divorces, amen? And so God said it's that, that first year relationship that I want to have with you. I want to illustrate it, and I'll bring the message to a conclusion. The Bible tells us in 1 Kings 19 about Elijah. After that great victory at Mount Carmel, we find Elijah under a juniper tree in 1 Kings 19 and 4, discouraged. A little later in the chapter, we find him in a cave, disillusioned, thinking that he was the only one left that was serving God. A little later, he comes out of that cave, and when he comes out, the Bible said that there was a great wind that blew, but God was not in the wind. Now let me pause a moment and say, that does not mean that God's never in the wind. Because in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible said the Holy Spirit came with the sound of a mighty rushing wind. God was in the wind that day. But Elijah didn't need God in his power as a wind. Then the Bible said there was an earthquake. God was not in the earthquake. Now that does not mean that God's never in an earthquake because in Acts 16, while Paul and Silas no doubt were sitting in a puddle of their own blood after having been beaten 
at the midnight hour they were singing songs and praying and God sent an earthquake and shook that place and God was in the earthquake that day and a Roman jailer and his family got saved by the grace of God then the Bible said there was a fire but God was not in the fire don't mean that God's never in the fire it's just that Elijah didn't need that kind of manifestation but there was a time that reveals the very person of God there was a time when Moses was walking across the desert of Midian and keeping a little herd of sheep for his father-in-law and he saw a bush burning God was in the fire that day manifested himself to Moses and sent him into Egypt but then after those three occurrences the Bible said there was a still small voice God was in the voice now why did it give us all of that I'll tell you what it is God desires a closeness to you and I somebody asked me one time said brother Bob why you go at it so hard when you preach I said well I reckon my mortar's thin and I had to fling it pretty hard to get it to stick amen and then somebody said, why are you holler so loud? I said, I want everybody to hear me. Amen. I want everybody to hear what's being said. But I tell you what, if I had something, Brother George, that was just for you, and I didn't want Mike to know anything about it, I wouldn't holler at you and tell you about it. I'd get up close and I'd whisper your ear. Amen. Amen. That's what that still small voice means. God just whispered into the ear of Elijah. That's confidential. That's personal. Thank God that's what he wants with you and I in relationship. He wants to be personal. He wants to be confidential. He wants so close, thank God, that he can whisper in our ear and we'll hear him as he speaks to us. Amen. And thank God we can have that closeness. John, the beloved, got so close to Jesus that he leaned on his bosom and heard and felt the very heartbeat of God as he leaned on his bosom in John chapter 13. That's the kind of closeness that our God wants you and I to have with him. Get so close to God, we can feel his heartbeat and hear as he gets personal and confidential to you and I. Our Father, I want to say thank you tonight for your love. I'm glad that you have proved to us beyond any doubt whatsoever you have our best interest at heart 
in everything that happens to us. We thank you, you love us that much. And oh God, help us to be willing and ready to follow you wherever you lead us to go. And I'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' wonderful, matchless name. Amen. Brother George.